0: We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. God, we thank you that um, there is always enough grace, there's always enough mercy, Father. And yet at the same time, you call us into deeper holiness and deeper relationship with you. And Lord, this morning, we want to be attentive to your word and to your spirit, that we would fall more in love with you and live a life of deep, Uh, commitment, and obedience to you. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. I was chatting with someone uh, again this week on just kind of the, the interesting process of sermon writing, right? Like, you know, some tasks are pretty cut and dried, right? Like I mow the lawn, I know that I need, you know, I need to allocate so much time, and then it's done. and and whatever else, you know, or you build something or whatever, like you, you kind of have a sense of how long it's going to take, and, uh, but sermon writing is not that for me, maybe it is for some, Um, but it's just, it's kind of this, this listening exercise, discernment exercise, where you're just kind of the, the, the question that you, that's kind of at the beginning and the middle and the end is just, you know, okay, Lord, like, like, what's, what's the lesson that you want to give these people for this week from, from this passage, right, because, um, it might be the same passage in a different group of people, and then it becomes a different lesson, or it might be the same passage and same people, but a different week, and then it, it's a different lesson, and um, and so just kind of wrestling with that, and and if you know the passage, that that helps, um, it, it kind of narrows it down, and so, um, you know, at the beginning of the week was just kind of really wrestling with that, because we're kind of at the end of Luke 9, and beginning of Luke 10, and we've... You know I charted it all out but we're kind of behind so at some point we're going to have to skip forward and But at some point, you know, like it just clicks and i'm not sure how else to describe it other than to just say Like there comes a point where it just kind of clicks in your spirit and you're like, oh, that's it You know, and then you can really begin to kind of flesh it out and and that kind of thing You know, you just you land on that one phrase so um, two weeks ago, we were in, in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Last week, Jason Queering spoke. That was fantastic. And um, But so two weeks ago, we were in, in Luke 9. And then after Luke 9, we have this segment. And, and it may seem disconnected or or, or kind of segmented at, at first, but I, I, I think there's like a whole theme that's kind of going on at the end of Luke 9, at the beginning of 10, because you you have all these events. Because you have Jesus asking his disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? And then asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? But then after that, he rolls into talking about how he's going to be crucified and that, you know, his followers need to take up your cross and follow him. But then he goes up onto the mountain and he takes with him Peter, James, and John. He becomes radiant white and Moses and Elijah appear with him. Now, this is hugely significant because the Old Testament is generally referred to as the Law and the Prophets, right? And especially kind of within Jewish culture, the Law and the Prophets. And Law and the Prophets are most embodied by Moses, who, you know, scribed out the Law for us, and Elijah, who was one of the key prophets, right? So Moses and Elijah are kind of the two... Key figureheads of the Old Testament and they're the ones that show up on the mountain with Jesus and then a voice from heaven speaks and says this is my son So really significant event up on the mountain Um, And then they come down And it and and I forget if, if Luke uses this exact word or one of the other gospels, but talk about Jesus resolutely setting his face towards Jerusalem and, and it's, and it's kind of like this final death march where he begins to work his way towards Jerusalem for the last time, knowing very well, like, what's going to happen. And so in, in all of these stories, you just have this idea of, of who is Jesus and what is he about and what is it that he has come here to, comp- to accomplish, and, and and we kind of get all of that established, and then we see Jesus resolutely setting his face towards Jerusalem to head in and, and finish this thing off and, and to get this thing done. But at the very beginning, Jesus asks, you know, this question. Who do the crowds say that I am? And then he asks his disciples, Who do you say that I am? Right? And and it's just this this amazing point. So this whole thing is a very Um, In the storyline of jesus like this is a very significant moment or shift or point or highlight Where he's been doing all this ministry and now the focus is walking in towards jerusalem Um, Luke 9 verse 18. Here's a passage. I want to focus on today Uh, Luke chapter 9 verse 18 Now it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him and he asked them Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, uh, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say that one of the prophets of old has arisen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. It's, um, you know, in, in our day we have so much access to, to news and social media and you get on your TV and your phone or What not or you know what our political leaders are are doing and saying and and there are some where I have a lot of respect, right? I mean some of I think some of our political leaders. I I honestly think some of the the men and the women offering leadership are, are remarkable men and women of character. Um, and you know, some of the people who work in the, in the news business, I have a lot of respect for, um, we kind of have this new category that's arisen called influencers, or, you know, people on social media, where just a lot of people follow them, you know, and, and there are some of them, they're just fantastic, but then we have some, and I won't name names, insert your own name if you want to, right, politicians, leaders, influencers, famous people, whatever, and they will like they'll call themselves a Christian or they'll talk about how much they pray for the president or you know oh if Jesus were walking through this room today like what would he say? And it's just like part of me just kind of throws up a little bit like every time they do right like I just it's just to me it's just cringeworthy I'm just like ah right like just just kind of repulsed in my spirit and and as a as a most recent example. Of what I consider the, this contradiction, right? So Roe versus Wade got overturned. And I still just boggles my mind. And maybe I was just a man of such little faith. But I honestly, I honestly thought I, I would not see the day that that would happen. Um, I just thought we're going down a path. Like this is our trajectory. Like you see it in the other co- countries. Like this isn't going to change. It's just going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And so to see that overturned, one, boggles my mind. Um, but two, like, I'm just like, that is a miracle that took place that I did not see coming. And hats off to the intercessors who have been working on this for the last half century. Um, like, kudos to you. Like, you get a reward on that one uh, in in heaven um, for for that, right? And it's... And it, it, it doesn't make abortion illegal. It pushes it down to the state's level. And so it's interesting because now you're seeing the states kind of go to even more extremes. Like they're kind of, it's kind of like the, the states are almost like doubling down on their stance. You know, it's like we're going to make it totally illegal and we're going to pay for you to get an abortion, right? Like, I mean, it's just it's just kind of ludicrous, kind of the, the division that, that's coming, right? But then, but some of these people who who are out there protesting, and I just, I cannot wrap my head around... Getting so furious, mad, like so enraged, mad, that a child gets to live. Like I just, I don't understand that. And then in some other, you know, you know, press gathering, be like, I, you know, I'm a Christian and, and I pray for whoever. And you know. like, I just, I can't, I can't make it link, right? Like, just that. And, and so much rage that, like, you've, you've lost the ability to kill on a whim. Like, I, I can't get that. And, and part of me just wants to be like, so, like, who do you say Jesus is? Like, if I'm going to approach you and be like, like, for me, that is such a ph- phenomenal example of who do the crowd say that I am? Like, who do the crowd say that Jesus is, right? Like, to sit down and ask them, like, define for me Jesus, Right? Like, like, who was he? What did he stand for? What was important to him? Why would he come to earth? Is Jesus God? And, I, you know, I mean, it's, I don't know. But I'm just, I'm really perplexed <laughs> by, by what I, I think I would get for an answer. Jesus asked his disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? And it is interesting because the crowds had it all wrong. Right? And it's interesting because they actually name a, they, their best guess is some dead guy who came back to life. Like in all three cases, it's like, well, you're John the Baptist, who was beheaded. Um, you're Elijah, he died like a long time ago, or some other prophet raised from the dead. And I don't even know where that came from, because I'm not sure that's a storyline in the Old Testament of prophets coming to... So I don't even know where this whole, like, old prophet raised to life 500 years later came from. But anyways, that's kind of the gossip on, on, the, on the street. And no one seemed to grasp the idea that this was someone new right so jesus is at the height of his popularity and the crowds still don't know who jesus is and and i think it's pretty easy to find people in our society where we say like i don't think you really know who jesus is or what jesus stands for so then jesus asks his disciples who do you say that i am who do you say that i am and peter because blurts out, because that's kind of what he does, Peter blurts out the Christ of God, right? The Messiah, the, the chosen one, the one who will save us, right? Peter gets it right. Hats off to Peter. But I, that, that line for this week, I was just hooked by that line. That was where my spirit clicked. Who do you say that I am? Right, because that's really the question, who do you say that that, that I am? Who, who do you say Jesus is? Because here's the thing. Your eternal destiny will be determined by how you answer that question. And more than that, really, the entire focus of your life on earth is determined by how you answer that question. Who is Jesus? Right? Number one question in our life, right, is Just was Jesus a good moral teacher? Was he a guy who advocated for socialism slash communism? Was he, you know, friend of sinners? We just really love to emphasize that he ate with sinners, and we're just going to run with that. He ate with sinners. Is he some distant, uninterested God? Was he just a man, but then his disciples fabricated this whole thing and just got a little crazy with the whole God story? But for Jesus to ask, "Who who do you say that I am? There's lots of ways to to get this um wrong or at least to get this unbalanced. Um long time ago, uh, someone was sharing uh s- some frustrations, uh, you know, as well as deals where it was like summer camp and they had like an altar call or salvation pitch or something like that, and this the speaker got up and it was just like, Who wants Jesus to be your forever friend? But then he left it there, right? Like he didn't unpack it anymore, he just left it as forever friend. It's like that 's a little watered down, isn 't it? like now, and, and i don 't know, maybe they were all like three years old. I recognize that there are some age considerations for how you talk about Jesus with like third grade and a forty year old and, and that kind of thing right but and, and it 's true, but it's like that like wow, like we 're really missing stuff if all we get is forever friend. I have a theory that the the depth. Of our submission to Jesus as Lord. Or the the, the fullness of our commitment to him. Is revealed by the speed of our obedience. Revealed by the speed of our obedience. I think people who respond quickly. Who obey quickly. Understand and treat Jesus as Lord. Lord. But people who like, well, hum and haw, and they stall, and they wonder, and they just really want to know why. They really need to know a why from Jesus on why they should do it, before they should do it, and they're not going to move forward until they get a why as as to what's going on. Like, don't fully, deeply understand Jesus as Lord or treat Jesus as Lord people who give themselves the final say people who give checkbooks the final say people who give friends or family the final say we're not really treating Jesus as Lord and I think part of it too in in our culture we have really confused Jesus loves me as I am which is true but then we assume that I get to stay as I am and and Jesus is okay with that We have lost, Jesus accepts me as I am, but then there is change and transformation and growth and maturity, right? Like we think, well, Jesus loves me as I am, so then I must be perfect as I am, and then there's no sin nature in me, and I can just keep doing this or being this way, and I'm okay. I still remember the devotional. Um, It was a uh, um, global disciple training alliance. One of these international guys gave a devotional. And he talked about how Lord and no are incompatible just by a basic definition of the words. Because if you're saying no, he's not Lord. Or at least you're not treating him as Lord. Right? Like you can't, just that phrase no Lord, like it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work. Right? Because if he's Lord, you don't get to say no. Right? Like there's just, there's an incompatibility there. The other thing too, you know, I, it, so it was kind of interesting. So at at Trek, we would send teams to Thailand and um, for a long time, Thailand had a a king and everyone loved him Um, or at least publicly. They, they all loved him. Right. And so, Like, you never spoke bad about the king, and you always, like, on his birthday, everyone wore yellow. And, like, one of the examples was, you know, like, how sometimes, like, maybe you drop, like, a piece of money or something like that, and you just, like, grab it with your toe and pull it back, or you would never do that. Because the king's face is on that money, and so you would never touch it with your toe. Right? And so there are just, there's all these things kind of baked into their culture where, you know, as king... Like, whatever he wants, and he's fantastic, and you don't get to question anything, right? Well, compare that with American history, right? Like, we're all about, like, 1776, and throw the tea in the harbor, and battle for independence, and, you know, anyone who kind of raises a stink and rebels against authority, like, that's who we look up to, right? Like, rebellion against against authority is, is kind of baked into our culture, which works when you're dealing with earthly tyrants. That's a handy thing, right? But when you're, you know, embracing Jesus Christ as Lord, it's kind of a a paradigm shift that that we have to overcome, understanding that our culture probably values rebellion more than it values, you know, unwavering, blind allegiance, you know? Acts 2.36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Revelation 17, 14. They will wage war against the Lamb. The Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. First Timothy six fifteen, he, uh, Which He will bring about in the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Revelation 19, 16. And on his robe and on his thigh he has written, King of kings, Lord of lords. Romans fourteen nine. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord, Lord of the dead and the living. John thirteen thirteen. This is Jesus talking. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. 1 Timothy 1, 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace and peace um, from God to the Father in Christ, Jesus our Lord. Now, all that said, let me also say that I also find the flip side equally problematic. Um, several years ago, uh, chatting with a pastor in Abbotsford, um, kind of a fascinating story. Uh, he was—I think it was from Nigeria. He had an offer to go play soccer in Europe for like ten grand a week um, because he was quick. I was like, "How quick do you have to be?" What anyways, many follow-up questions that I had, Um, but he gave that up, became a pastor in in Canada, but then we asked him to come speak on evangelism to Trek, and we were thinking, hey, like talk with us on like, you know, how to give the gospel message, or how to talk through things, or that kind of thing, but what we didn't realize is that he was was pretty hardcore Calvinist. Um, I don't know if you'd call it an extreme Calvin, but just like very, very, very much into his Calvinist worldview. And so his talk on evangelism was, well, it really doesn't matter what you do because God will decide anyways. And so, you know, your efforts regarding evangelism are worthless because God will decide. And we're like, that's not at all helpful. So <laughs> for, for, oh, then we had to unpack and, and counsel all the kids through that one. But anyways, but... um. But at one point, too, it was, it was interesting because he, it was kind of one of those things where you just kind of get said quickly in the hallway, but he was talking about how we don't call Jesus friend. We don't call Jesus friend. Now, yes, Jesus called us friend, but, there's, but we don't get to call Jesus friend. He can call us friend, but in, in that verse it doesn't talk about us calling Jesus friend, so we, we never call Jesus friend. I'm like, I don't think that's how friendship works. Like, friendship is kind of a both-way thing, right? Friendship flows both ways. Multiple times, Jesus uses friendship language. People who will overemphasize lordship but not develop the relational friendship part are in great danger of being incredibly legalistic and lacking compassion. And that's a dangerous place to be and unfun to be around. And if someone is strong in one but weak in the other on that lordship friendship combo like it it makes me nervous And honestly, i'm not inspired by that the the people who inspire me the people that I want to be like They have a firm grasp And understanding that jesus is my lord, but also that relational friendship loving component Right the people who will who will get emotional like i've seen grown men cry when they talk about how much they love Jesus and how close they are to him and how he speaks to them. And yet, at the same time, the speed of their obedience is remarkable. Right? Like they have, they have somehow grasped both sides of that. James 2.23, scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. John fifteen fourteen. you are my friends if you do what I command you. Actually, fuller passage on that. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Other examples of Friendship. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I come in and I eat with him, and he with me. John 3.1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You, you cannot have a healthy, adopted child friendship without love flowing both ways a couple other ones that, that I, I want to go over here real quick uh, misunderstandings about Jesus um, The uh, a few weeks ago John had mentioned this book The Universal Christ uh, that is the most popular book on Amazon and in that book the author seeks to separate Jesus and Christ as, as two different um, kind of entities and Because if you're able to separate Christ from Jesus, then most anyone or anything can can represent Christ or be Christ. Here's what I, this is fantastic. The author's desire to distinguish Christ from Jesus was addressed by Irenaeus in his second century work against heresies. There he laid down the principle that Christ cannot be divided from Jesus. The ancient saint added that it is therefore clear that the Apostle Paul knew no other Christ except this one alone, he who suffered, he who was buried, who was raised from death, who was born, who speaks as man. Irenaeus stated that it was blasphemy to separate Christ from Jesus, as some Gnostic authors were doing. The part that made me just, that I found most hilarious on this, was the very opening line about this was addressed in a second century work. Like, there are no new heresies. (laughs) Like, they they really aren't. They're the same, like, I have a couple books on heresies, and they're just the same ones that just get recycled, like, every few centuries, right? Like, they get repackaged, slap a little bit of new paint on it, but it's the exact same thing. And so the scholars are like, oh, this is what's going on. Well, that was addressed in, like, 300 A.D. by so-and-so when we first saw it come out, and this one was addressed in 250 A.D., right? Like, it's just recycled stuff. The devil has no new lies. He just repackages the old ones and and tries to resell them. The next idea that I uh, want to address for today is... Was the idea that Jesus was a created being? Um, Jehovah's Witnesses and some others will believe a, a version of this that Jesus was not God, that he was not with God in the beginning. Um, one of the things that's interesting then to to kind of support that is that they will mistranslate John uh, chapter one verses one one and two. In the beginning was God. They they tweak that a little bit. Um, this one also has been around since the beginning. The Council of Nicaea, which met in three twenty five A D. Um, Talked about this and and the key to this one is is to prove the Trinity exists That like that's how you how you deal with this one proving that the Trinity exists um, That you know, um, you need to show that first of all, there's only one God Secondly that Father Son and Holy Spirit are distinct persons and that each has an attribute of the deity one of the ways you do this Deuteronomy 6 1 O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one so we have one entity, even going back to Genesis, let us create man in our image. So, you know, we, we have that that our um, usage in there. And then John 1, 3, specifically about Jesus, all things came into being by him, right? By Jesus, apart from him was not, or apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so in that, we see that everything in the universe is either created or eternal, right? Like you only have two options, a created being, a non-created being that's been around forever. And if you really go after that verse, you have to conclude that Jesus has been around from the beginning and he, he was not a created being. Um, Chad, you can prep that that video. Um, the I, I will simply say this. There's a lot of heresies out there on who is Jesus, who is not Jesus. Um, none of them are old. Um, but at the same time, though, like, you know, if you like Google, can pull up a lot of the rebuttals and heresies and that kind of stuff, right? Like, technology has made so much of this so incredibly accessible to you. There is a video that I've been wanting to show you guys for a long time and trying to figure out the, the best way to do it or when to do it. And, and it seemed like today actually might be a, a good fit. It's a little three minute video. Um, when, um, what was it? I guess it was National Youth Camp. I don't remember if it was last year or the year before. I uh, went to a workshop on this called Three Circles. And it's simply another way to present the gospel, right? Like it used to be like you draw the chasm, you know, and then the flames, you know, and the cross and that kind of thing. And that works, all true, that kind of thing. Um, but this is just kind of a refreshed version on, on how to do that. And I'm kind of intrigued by it. There is more on this. Like we, could, we should really probably unpack this in small group. ...for a few weeks, but um, just kind of to, 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 to get you in, intrigued by this, um, again, lots of resources online, uh, if you just YouTube, like, three, th- three circles, but to just, you know, just another tool in your toolbox, for as you just interact with the rest of the world, what's, it, what's kind of a contemporary way to share the timeless message of who is Jesus on a napkin, right, and just kind of quick, lay it out there. So um, we're gonna we're gonna roll this video. It's just there, there's a lot that we could un- unpack for it, but uh, I wanted to to get this out to you guys, and then we'll we'll wrap up. So Chad,
1: you know the reality is all of us live in this broken world. We only have to turn on the news to see suffering, death, war, disease, addictions. It's everywhere, isn't it? But this is not God's original design. God has a perfect design, a world full of love, joy, peace, and unity. And the way that we've gotten ourselves into brokenness is through something the Bible calls sin. Sin is turning away from God's design and pursuing our own way. And these sins separate us from God. They, they throw us into brokenness. And brokenness eventually leads us to death, and this death will separate us from God forever. So people try all kinds of different things to get out of brokenness. They they might try drugs or alcohol or chasing a career, money or bullying other people or relationships, but none of these things ever actually fix the problem of brokenness. In fact, it's like a bungee cord. We just get snapped straight back again and again into brokenness. And ultimately, if people die in that state, separated from God, Well, that's a permanent state, eternal. That place is often called hell. But God didn't want to leave us in that place. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to make a way out for us. Jesus came down to earth to put an end to our brokenness. In fact, he willingly entered into our brokenness to restore God's perfect design. How did he do this? By living a perfect life. Jesus took our place in death and died on a cross as our sacrifice. And God saw this as acceptable, allowing Jesus' sacrifice to account for our brokenness. So it canceled out our sin. Jesus crushed it. But three days after he died, he rose from the dead. And by doing so, he made a way out of brokenness for us. God said that if we turn from our sin and believe that Jesus died for us, we can leave brokenness, be buried with Him through baptism into His death in order that just as Christ was raised, we too may live a new life so that we can grow in a relationship with God and be restored back into His original design. Then we're able to go to be sent just like Jesus was sent back into brokenness to help others come through Him to pursue God's design. We can become like new creations. We are like a new person in Christ. So there are really only two kinds of people in the world. There are people who are pursuing God's design and people who are still in brokenness. So we have to ask ourselves, where are we? And I'm wondering, where do you think you are? And where would you like to be?
0: One of the things I appreciate about this, um, this way to present it, I think most people today have an easy time acknowledging brokenness, but at the same time I I do think that most people today recognize that peace, beauty, goodness does exist or did exist and that there are a lot of people actually who strive for those things or work towards those things. But if we get real honest, we recognize that striving towards those things on our own efforts hasn't worked. I love the bungee cord analogy, right? It's like we go after it and it only goes so far before something snaps or breaks. But there, there is that desire to return to that place of wholeness and peace and unity and cooperation and love and, 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 and just getting along with one another and that kind of thing. So um, perhaps something that, that we explore more in small groups, but a handy resource that I wanted to equip you guys with. A lot of this world thinks... That they know Jesus. Some do. But I think there's a lot that have no idea. And when asked. Who do you say Jesus is. They would, they would get it wrong. Um, that question. Who do you say I am. That is the most important question of our life. Not only does that eter- determine eternity. But it determines the entire focus. Of our everyday life. Right. Everything about how you center and focus your day. Is really determined by that question. Who do you say that I am. In, in regards to Jesus and what we give our lives for. And so we want to make sure that we are getting that right, but then at the same time helping others get, answer that question right as well too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this direct poignant question found in Scripture. Who do you say that I am? And Lord, our desire is that for everyone here and everyone that we encounter, the answer would be that you are the Christ of God that you are the Messiah, that you are the Chosen One, that you are Lord, that you are the means of salvation, and you're willing to be our friend on top of it. Father, we are grateful for who you are and what you have done. We are grateful um, for what has happened with Roe versus Wade being overturned. Lord, at the same time, though, we don't want to get lazy or slack. There's still much work to be done, and we want to be faithful in that. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.